Hey friends, welcome to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of this podcast, and if you can believe it, we are at episode number 11. Y'all, I cannot believe that we are on episode number 11. That just blows my mind. So excited you guys are here today, though, because we're doing another solo cast, so it's just me, but I'm really stoked about this topic because the truth is I get a lot of questions, whether on Instagram messages, emails, even in person. I get so many questions around the topic of money, whether it's how to make a budget, how to get out of debt, how to save. Y'all throw all the questions my way, so I'm really excited to just kind of bring it all together in this podcast episode. So I'm going to share with you guys a little bit of my personal history with money, as well as share my story of how I got out of debt and then how I saved to travel. And then I asked you guys for a few weeks on Instagram to send in all your money questions and y'all showed up. Like for real, y'all showed up. So I'm really excited to get to answer a bunch of y'all's questions. I divided them into categories. We're going to start with budgeting and saving. Then we're going to move into paying off debt, traveling, and etc. There were some definitely some duplicate questions that came in. And so I'm going to do my best to answer every single question you guys had. Some were definitely a little more particular, a little more situational. So if you find I didn't answer your question or you walk away from this episode with more questions, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or in an email because I would love to help you out. All right, let's get started. Oh, but first, let me preface this by saying I am not a financial expert. I am not a financial consultant. I have no degree in finance, nothing. I just learned on my own how to handle money, namely uh, having gone through Dave Ramsey's course, Financial Peace University, and then working at his company, which we'll get into a little bit more later, but it's all been guided by Dave Ramsey's principles, but then a lot of self-teaching as well. So just remember that I am not an expert. So first, let's start with my personal money history or even education in money. I'm going to go ahead and be real honest. It was non-existent. I don't know if you guys have found this to be true as well, but I was never like formally taught how to handle money or finances or make a budget or anything. And I think that's a real shame. I feel like it should be required education when you're in high school, uh, if not college, to learn how to handle money. Because if you don't have a good example in your childhood, how the heck are you supposed to know what you're doing? So anyway, back to my story. I grew up actually having a lot of things in the sense that my family got a lot of fun stuff. My dad was a race car driver when I was growing up until I was about eight. And so we spent a lot of weekends at racetracks all over the West Coast. We had a boat. We had a motorhome. We went camping all the time. I was very, very fortunate as a kid. We got to do a lot of really fun things. And it was kind of like this ideal family all-American family kind of thing. But my parents actually split up when I was 11, which is a whole nother story for another day. But ever since then, there's just been a lot of financial struggle in my family, particularly with my parents. I watched them both struggle independently and how saw how it obviously affected me and my brother. And if I'm honest, I've pretty much been financially independent since the day I could start working, which when I was about 15 or 16. So I had a roof over my head for sure, but every other expense that I had from that point forward was almost completely reliant upon my income. I then put myself through university. I did go to community college for a year and a half, much to my dismay. I did not want to do that, but that was the course I ended up having to take. And from there, I transferred to a private university, and it was not cheap. 
I mean, no universities nowadays are, but private universities in particular are a little bit more expensive. I did apply for and receive a lot of scholarships and grants, which I'm super grateful for. I could have graduated with a lot more debt than I did. Um, But I'm going to be honest, I worked my ass off. And somehow... Even in all of that, I never had a credit card as a young adult. There's like a stereotype that once you hit 18, all the credit card companies know your address and they send you offers for cards with all these quote-unquote bonuses and things like that. And I think because I just moved around a lot, I guess that's a pattern in my life, they never really knew where to find me. So I never had a credit card and I'm really grateful that I didn't. I only had a debit card um, and that was what I used to buy things. And I think, honestly, um, if I were to really reflect on that and look back, there was something in my subconscious that had embedded from my childhood that just knew you shouldn't spend more than you have earned or more than you have in the bank. So to me, a credit card never seemed like something I should get because it seemed dangerous, I guess. I don't know. Either way, I never had one. By the time I graduated from school and I had to get a new car that summer as well, um, I had a almost $40,000 of debt. And that was summer of 2012. So yes, I am dating myself right now. I'm getting old, (laughs) y'all. From there, I actually worked in ministry for two and a half years, both in college and out of college. And it was actually at the church I was working at about six months after I graduated. They offered Dave Ramsey's course, Financial Peace University, for free to all the staff members, which was really awesome. And it was also my first real introduction to money management. I learned the seven baby steps, as Dave calls them, which I will link in the show notes. And I'm going to be honest, I can't remember them all by heart because (laughs) I kind of checked out after baby step three. So baby step one is have $1,000 in an emergency fund, which is basically your savings account. It sits there and it doesn't get touched unless there's an emergency. Baby step two is to pay off all of your debt. So to aggressively attack all of your debt, student loans, car loans, credit card, personal loans, medical debt, all that kind of stuff. The exception is like house debt. So if you've bought a house and you have a mortgage. And then maybe step three is to then put away three to six months of your expenses into that emergency fund. So you build up the emergency fund. And so then obviously if you don't have debt, you skip baby steps steps one and two. You move right on to three, but the majority of people have debt. So you start at baby step one. If you already have $1,000 or more in a savings account, great. You can move on to baby step two. I think from there, baby step four is put money into retirement. Baby step five is save for your children's college, which I was like 22 at the time that I went through Financial Peace University. So I was like, bye. I don't need to be worried about those things yet. So definitely need a refresher course every once in a while. I After having gone through FPU, felt an urge that I was supposed to move to Nashville. There's stuff on the blog about that if you want to read about my experience. And when I told my boss at the church and started telling other people who worked there, the staff member who had led the FPU course mentioned that Dave's company, Dave Ramsey's company, was based in Nashville. And if I felt like I was supposed to move there, I might as well look and see if they had any job openings. And I thought, sure, why not? (laughs) So I ended up applying for a job that I was super unqualified for. But the recruiter that I was working with really believed in me, like fiercely believed in me, and fought to find me a spot there. I did move to Nashville without a solid job. It was totally in faith that I moved, but it all worked out. 
I'm very thankful for that. I spent a few weeks unemployed before I ended up getting a job at Ramsey. That kind of started my real journey in in starting to pay off debt. So uh, I had been working there for about a year, just kind of making minimum payments, maybe throwing a couple extra hundred bucks here or there on my student loans and my car loan. But it took, again, about a year for me to get really serious about it. It started after I prayed about what was next. I do this like every year, maybe even every six months where I have this like life crisis moment and I talk to the Lord and I say like, what do you want me to do? Because what am I doing? There has to be more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Please tell me I'm not alone in having those moments every now and again. That time when I, when I was having that moment, I had this sense that God did have more for me, that there was more that he wanted me to step into, but that I wouldn't be able to do that until I took care of my debt. So it was kind of like the fire that I needed to get moving. And uh, I couldn't have obviously been in a better place to have the support and motivation to get my financials in order. You know, Ramsey, that's what we did there. They educate people on how to handle money. It's very common sense and biblical. And so it was a great place to be to have the support the motivation, the understanding for my team members to get that moving. But the truth was I didn't have a solid budget. And that was kind of the big thing for me. I really needed to put a name to every dollar that I was bringing in uh, so that I knew where it was going and therefore could be more efficient and effective in paying off debt. So I have a whole blog post on the how I paid off debt thing. I will link it in the show notes, but here are kind of the main points. The biggest thing I found to be the most helpful was having a budget, but next to that, I needed accountability because as a single person, nobody else was looking at my money. Nobody else was looking at my bank account. Nobody else was seeing where I was spending. And so a coworker of mine at the time, she said, you need to stop making excuses because if we're honest, I was just making excuses as to why I couldn't do it. And so after that, I actually asked her to be my accountability, which we later ended up calling her my budget buddy. We met every month at the beginning of the month to go over my proposed budget as well as my previous budget from the month before. So if you do the math there, that means we'd get together at the beginning of a month. We would look at my proposed budget. She would see where all the money was going to go and how much I was putting toward debt. And then at the end of the month, we met again and she saw the results. So we would compare them. So it was really good for me to have that kind of accountability because I knew if I saw something I wanted, like a pair of shoes or a concert ticket, she was going to see that I spent that money. And so it helped me stay in line so that I wasn't pulling from what I was putting toward debt and instead was finding more creative ways to get the things I wanted without sacrificing paying off debt. The other thing about when I was paying off debt, I had a lot of jobs, like so many jobs. I had my full-time job at Ramsey where I was an administrative assistant. And then I also had a ton of side gigs. I babysat, I dog sat, I tutored, I did photography, I helped with home organization. I sold a lot of things on Facebook Marketplace. I worked about 70 hours a week. If I averaged it all out, it was about 70 hours a week, uh, which means that I had very little social life because I barely even had time to sleep at that point. But I did end up end up paying off the remaining balance of all of my debt. And that was about $28,000. And I did it in 21 months. And that might not sound like a lot of money, or maybe it sounds like a lot of money. I don't know your background or the kind of income you're bringing in or what your debt looks like, but I'm going to be just really transparent. 
at the time, uh, I was only making around 40000 I say only. That's a lot of money to a lot of people. But it didn't feel like a lot at the time when I was trying to pay off almost $30,000 of debt. And then with all of the extra jobs I took and selling things on Facebook Marketplace and all the other creative ways I found to make money, I actually added it all up after I had paid off all my debt. And in those 21 months... I made an additional almost $18,000 on top of my yearly salary, which is nuts. Like, that's so crazy. Maybe it sounds impressive. That's fine. But, like, also, I hope you realize that means I really did have, like, no social life. And even if I did, I I wasn't fully present anywhere that I was because I was just so exhausted. We'll get into that a little bit more (laughs) in a bit. Post paying off all of my student loan debt and car debt, I continued working just as much as I had worked before. So all of those jobs, all of that crazy, it was my life. It was a bit miserable. And like I said, I was a shell of a human from just being so drained. Really, it sucked at the time, but it was obviously worth it in the end because it's brought me to where I am now. I ended up saving a about $10,000 by the time I headed off on my trip to Europe. So that was kind of my goal number. I don't know why that was my number for three to four months for, of travel, but I thought $10,000 sounded like a lot, like enough, hopefully more than enough. Yeah, by the time I left for Europe, I had over $10,000 saved up, and that trip ended up actually being four and a half months. So it ended up being longer than I'd anticipated. And if you've been following along since that trip, before that trip, after that trip, you may have noticed I have continued to travel. So by the time this episode has gone live, I have been traveling for 13 months, uh, living as a little nomad. I've stayed longer in some places, you know, only a few days in other places, but it's been wild. I think I, I did the math recently, and in the last 13 months, I have slept in over 65 beds, I think, which is crazy. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but like y'all only see for the most part, the glamorous side of it. That is a lot of different beds, which also means y'all, I can sleep literally anywhere. (laughs) I've slept obviously in a bed. I've slept on a bus. I've slept on a plane. I've slept on a ferry. Like I can fall asleep anywhere and everywhere. So maybe it's like a spiritual gift now. I don't really know. (laughs) Anyway, that's a little bit of my financial history. So I worked at Ramsey for four years for really amazing but really challenging years just because of all of the things that were going on. But there was so much purpose, obviously, in me having been there because I not only learned so much, my life changed. My life was forever changed as a result of working there and as a result of the people who supported and encouraged me in my debt-free journey. And I got to do a debt-free scream on Dave's show, which is also in the blog post I linked earlier. And it was such a tremendous celebration. And it felt so good to know that like, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Because in the past, I was the queen of making excuses as to why I couldn't or why it wouldn't work. And something in that process made me realize that I had to stop making excuses and being my own most limiting belief, if that makes sense. The only thing limiting me was me. And I just realized through that process that I had to stop doing that. And it's been such a free journey ever since. Even starting this podcast has been one of those things where I was like, no, I shouldn't, or I can't, or it won't work. And then I just said, screw it, just do it and see what happens. And it's been a really, really cool and life-changing lesson to have learned. So anyway, that's a little bit of my financial history 
didn't have any education growing up, um, really honestly kind of learned from poor choices that were made around me. And fortunately, so fortunately, because of seeing that happen secondhand, I knew not to make terrible choices. I did put myself through private school. I don't regret that decision at all because the experience shaped me so much. But like now at 29, looking at 19-year-old Janine, I'd be like, don't go to private school. Uh, go to community college and then transfer to a state school because it's just a bachelor's degree. But like also I made some amazing friends there. I grew so much as a human, a young woman, like, you know, all those things. But anyway, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So that's a little bit of my financial history, how I got out of debt, which again is detailed more in the blog posts that I have linked in the show notes. And then how I saved to travel Europe last year. Now let's get into some of your guys' questions. Our first section, I suppose, is on budgeting and saving. So I'm going to read you all the questions and then answer them to the best of my non-professional knowledge and expertise. (laughs) So the first question I have says, I need help budgeting. Is there a certain guideline, percentage, or rule I should follow? Yes, there are some guidelines for sure. So Dave Ramsey, again, has a ton of principles for this. Here are a few basic guidelines that I know. So you should always have an emergency fund, which I mentioned earlier. If you're paying off debt, that should be at least $1,000 at least $1,000. I would say if you're married, even like maybe up that number a little bit because there's two of you. And if you have kids, there might be even more. So I don't know. I sometimes felt insecure with only $1,000 as a single person, but fortunately nothing severe ever happened when I was paying off debt that I needed to completely deplete that savings account. There were definitely some things where I had to pause paying off debt for a month or so, um, but I never had to deplete my emergency fund. So anyway, if you're paying off debt, at least $1,000. If you do not have debt, you should build your, your emergency fund up to three to six months of expenses. So that's you looking at your own budget. If you have a budget, We'll talk about how to make a budget in a second. Um, But you just look at what you're spending each month on rent, transportation, food, your basic needs basically, and you multiply that by three or six and make that your emergency fund number. And here's the thing. uh, Emergencies always happen. Like they always happen. They look different. They come in different shapes and sizes, but emergencies are always going to pop up. So do your best to be prepared. Another big thing, don't stop giving. Just don't cease your giving because... Ultimately, you still have more than most people. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you have more than most people in this world. So we always have the ability to give even when we don't feel like we should. So don't stop giving. Another recommendation I have and that Dave would definitely echo, don't use credit cards. Don't use a credit card if you have debt because that's just like setting you up to fail, I think. Especially when you don't have the money sitting in your checking account, don't get a credit card because then you're spending money you don't have. Like that makes sense, right? Cool. And then on top of that, yeah, don't spend more than you earn, which also I think is very common sense, but a lot of people don't know it. So if you earn $3,000 a month, you should not be spending more than $3,000 a month, right? So as as for some percentages, uh, going back to giving, I think you should give at least 10% of your income every month. So if you make $3,000, that's $300. If you make $5,000, $500. I hope my math is right. I think my math is right. So at least 10%, keep giving that away. Keep being generous. Even in small ways, if you only make $1,000 a month, give away $100, whatever that looks like, whether that's to your church, to a family in need, however you want to classify your giving, I would just say keep doing it at least 10%. I've read some statistics and percentages that say your rent or your living expenses, so your rent, mortgage, 
uh, your bills like water, electricity, etc., are recommended to be around 25 to 30% of your income. Now, if you're single, like your girl over here, granted, my living situation is very different right now, and it has been for the last year, but even when I was living in Nashville as a single person, 25%, like there was no way I was going to be able to live somewhere and only 25% of my income at the time. So I think you definitely need to adapt these things to your lifestyle, but recommended somewhere around 25 to 30% of your income for your rent and living expenses. So again, I just think everything else is kind of flux and really does depend on your lifestyle. Um, but it is important to just kind of assess the things that you find to be necessary and the things that you just want, like they're different. What's necessary and what you want are often different things. So just look at your money, look at your spending habits. I will say when you're making a budget, it usually takes about three months to get into a rhythm. So don't be too hard on yourself in those first few months while you're trying to get things together. It's a learning process. You're going to learn as you go. Have grace with yourself. And in about three months in, you should find a rhythm. What about budgeting apps? That was a question, by the way. So there are plenty of budgeting apps out there. Um, some people really prefer to just use like standard Excel, build their own formulas. That's cool. I do not have the time for that. I know there are a few out there like You Need a Budget or YNAB, Mint, etc. I've tried a few of those and they were fine, but I now swear by every dollar. It's actually a product that <laughs> is from Dave Ramsey. I've actually been using it since it was in its beta testing phase a few years ago, and I absolutely love it. I could not recommend it more. It has an app for your phone on Android and iPhone, and then it has a really beautiful web interface, and I love how easy it is to use. Plus, it looks really good, and that matters to me. The aesthetics like really matters to me. I think it also does a really, really good job job in comparison to other budgeting apps out there to help you stay on top of debt payoff and or savings goals. So if you're trying to pay off debt, it like does the math for you, which is awesome. And then if you're saving up for things, I think it does a really good job of also helping you with that in a way that's really intuitive. I use it every single day. I have the app on my phone. I'm on the web interface every day because I'm kind of a nerd about budgeting now. I'm I'm also a spender though. Like I like to treat myself, but I'm a nerd about it. So I'm like a frugal spender. I don't know. Does that make sense? That's who I am. It's fine. But yeah, every dollar is definitely my favorite. There's a free version and a paid version. But yeah, budgeting app, every dollar is definitely my favorite. There are plenty out there, but you asked for what I recommend and that's what it is. What tips do you have for saving money? Okay, I got this question a lot. It was written out in different ways, different words, but y'all are really looking for some tips on how to save money. So here are kind of my common sense tips. So first, make sacrifices everywhere and anywhere that you can. Trust me, if you start looking at where you're spending your money, you're going to find the ways that you can make sacrifices. So whether that is that, you know, like run to Starbucks, you do three or four times a week. That's like 20 bucks right there. Just not buying that latte and making coffee at home. You could be saving 20 bucks a week. That's $80 a month. Like you start doing the math and you realize, oh yeah, I'm definitely being, at least I realize I'm definitely being a little bit frivolous here and don't actually need this thing that I thought I needed. My biggest piece of advice, and this is actually my biggest piece of advice in like everything in life, but especially with money, prioritize what is important to you. Like what really is the most important thing right now? Look at your goals. Look at where you want to be in a year. Look at the debt you have or the savings plan you're on and start prioritizing the things that are the most important to you. So that means you need to write it down and have like a list somewhere where you're going to see it every day where you can say, all right, the most important thing to me right now is paying off my student loan or the most important thing to me right now is saving for a trip. You'll have it 
right in front of your face every single day, which will help influence your spending choices, right? Another thing, big thing, I mentioned this earlier as well, accountability, man. Accountability is crucial. So if you're married, your spouse should be your accountability. Ideally, you guys are working on a budget together. You are, you know, where you're spending money, all that kind of stuff. So if you're married, your spouse should be your accountability for sure. If you're single, like I am and was when I was paying off debt, ask a friend or a mentor to be your accountability buddy or your budget buddy. And I would definitely encourage doing a monthly sit down going over your budget, just having that person who can really call you out (laughs) and challenge you to do more. And then if you don't have debt and you are looking for ways to save money, you can always get more jobs. Well, if you have debt, you should get more jobs too, but more jobs are always an option for saving money. And then if you don't have debt, something I recently did, which took me way too long, uh, was move a big chunk of my savings into a money market savings account, which earns interest for just sitting there. So that's another way to save money. I think there's like other adult things you can do, like buy stocks. I don't know. I'm not quite there yet. I'm a little bit basic when it comes to money stuff at the moment, hoping to learn some more, but those are some of my tips for right now for sure. My favorite piece of advice though, y'all ready for this one? Turn those headphones up, y'all. My favorite piece of advice for saving money, stop making excuses. Yeah, I went there. Stop making excuses. There's not a reason that's good enough to not try and meet your financial goal, whether that's paying off debt, saving for something that you're really wanting, going on a trip, whatever that is, stop making excuses and make that your priority when it comes to your financial health. How do you manage living your life slash doing fun things while still saving money? Great question. This was one I definitely had a challenge with when paying off debt. Um, Again, I think it comes down to prioritizing what's important to you. My rule of thumb when I was paying off debt and even now still is if I find something that I want to do or want to buy something that wasn't originally in my budget at the beginning of the month, I need to make the money to do that thing or buy that thing. So whether that means taking on a babysitting job, you know, no longer getting Starbucks for the month or whatever it is I need to do, that's what I need to do. (laughs) So I need to make the sacrifices (laughs) to make that purchase in a wise way and not pull from either putting that money toward debt or putting that money into a savings account. Yeah. Oh, and biggest piece of advice here, don't pull from your savings account to buy something. I've done this before (laughs) more times than I want to admit, and it's never worth delaying paying off your debt or saving for the thing that's on your horizon. So don't pull from savings, prioritize what's important to you and make the sacrifices to still be able to live life without it being at the expense of your financial goals, if you know what I mean. All right, next question. What about while you're in college? How do you save money? What are the best steps to take? This is going to sound, you know, a little bit plain, but get a job. Look for an on-campus job for sure. Uh, If you're at a good-sized school, there's probably plenty of opportunities to work on campus, like in the student life office or the library or on student leadership. While I was in college, I worked my whole way through. I worked in the admissions office for a while. I was on student activities. I worked in ministry outside of the school. And I also found some sweet babysitting 
jobs with some of the staff and professors. Um, so you can definitely get creative and find some ways to make money while you're in school. Uh, I also had a brief stint <laughs> as a children's golf teacher. <laughs> Little known fact, I played golf my senior year of high school. I was on the girls' golf team. Uh, it was kind of a fluke how I ended up on it, but I ended up being pretty good. So uh, my first job when I went to university was actually teaching kids how to play golf. Weird times. Here's the thing, though. I worked because I had to. As I mentioned way at the beginning of this episode, I've been financially independent for a really long time. So I was always working and I knew if I wanted to do anything or, you know, pay my cell phone bill, I had to be working. So I was always working, but no matter your personal financial situation, uh, whether your parents have put you through school or you're putting yourself through school, you should definitely try and work if you can for a few reasons. One, uh, the real world, you're going to have to work. So it's a great way to have a grasp on what the real world's going to look like post-college, to have a job, to be making some money. It's also going to bulk up your resume by the time that you graduate, which a lot of people, I think, make the mistake of not working and then getting out into the world and having no actual experience. So you get to bulk up your resume a little bit, and it can just set you up financially before you've even graduated, uh, whether that means you're going to be paying off debt or you're going to be able to just save, you're going to be able to do those things so much faster. It's it's ultimately a benefit to be working. Obviously, if you don't have to work a ton, don't. School's important. You're paying for it. But at the same time, I think it's wise to also have something going on. I think it's a win-win there. So get a job. <laughs> That's my advice when you're in college. What are some good side hustle ideas? Oh, Let's brainstorm, y'all. I love little side hustles. Definitely, like, if you're working full-time during the week, Monday through Friday, get a weekend job if you want to do that. I don't know if I would recommend working every day of the week. I did that for a while, and it was um, awful. <laughs> it was really exhausting. I think you can do anything for a short amount of time. So if you needed to, you could definitely work seven days a week. But just know your limits and make sure you have some good boundaries in place. But find a weekend job. Whether that's in retail, the food industry, whatever, uh, find, find a job you can do on Saturdays for eight hours, and that's a great way to make a little bit of extra money, and it's consistent. Babysitting is a great side job. That was the majority of my extra income was babysitting. I will say I babysat about four or five nights a week, so that was bananas, but it's a great way to make money. It's usually um, kind of under the table it depends on your situation. House or pet sitting, I loved doing it. It wasn't the most money-making for my time, but it was also really nice because I had roommates. I always had roommates. So sometimes it was nice to kind of get my own space, even if it was somebody else's house. It was almost like a weekend away or a retreat. So that's a great way to make money too, especially if you like dogs or cats. That's always fun. Tutoring, if you have any experience with that, you can go into tutoring. I did that for sure. I didn't really have the experience, but somehow I fell into that job and the kid I was tutoring graduated high school, so I would call that a success. Any creative endeavors. So if you're into photography or web design or painting, like whatever it is you like to do, uh, you could find ways to make money doing those things for sure. And then selling things you no longer need on Facebook Marketplace. Y'all, I cannot sing Facebook Marketplace praises enough. You can also find other groups on Facebook that do buy-sell trades in your particular area. I found that I was able to sell a ton of stuff doing that as well. So the best piece of advice I personally received when I was paying off debt was a question, actually. A friend asked me, what do you enjoy doing? And I answered her and I shared some things that I really enjoy doing. And then she said, cool, now figure out how you can make money doing that. And I was like, dang, 
that's some wisdom right there. And so that's my question to you too. What do you enjoy doing? Great. I'm so glad you love doing it. Now figure out how you can make money doing it. Some of them obviously are a little bit more difficult. Like I love writing. Haven't quite figured out how to make money writing yet. It sounds like a lot of work. But I do love photography and I've been able to make money doing that. I love kids. And so I got to babysit and make money doing that. So find things that you really enjoy doing and figure out how to make money. Don't get a side job or a side hustle or whatever if you hate it. You know what I mean? Like, you should enjoy it a little bit because you're choosing to do it. All right, so we're moving into our next section, which is paying off debt. So first question is tips for paying off debt on a low income, especially if you work in a church or as a missionary. I know that that can be a challenge. I worked in ministry for three years in and out of college. I worked in children's ministry. Fun fact, that's actually what my degree is in, is in children and family ministry. If you're able to do it, it's worth trying to get a side job if you're trying to save while you're in ministry, even if it's just a day or two a week, kind of like I mentioned earlier. Small sacrifices now can lead to a much bigger payoff much quicker. So if you're able to, I would definitely recommend doing that. I also understand sometimes with ministry jobs, it's hard to shut off. So I would just kind of assess where you're at, maybe even create some boundaries with your current employee so that you're able to work on this thing that you are ready to be done with, aka debt. And I mean, have an honest conversation with your leader about that because I'm sure that they would be supportive of you wanting to get out of that so that you can be freed up to do more of what God has for you. If a side job isn't possible, um, i.e. you're a missionary, I'd recommend including debt payoff in your mission budget. So as you're raising funds and doing all the things that you need to do as a missionary that I don't fully understand because I'm not one, I would definitely make sure that you have taken paying off your debt into consideration when you've done that. Another piece of advice here is just live as frugally as you possibly can until you're debt-free. I have said this before, but small sacrifices now are totally worth it in the end, even big sacrifices now. So do what you can to live way under your means, and you'll have extra funds to put toward debt. Basically, be responsible with what you've been given, I guess is the easiest way to say it. And of course, trust that God's going to provide in ways beyond your control. I can guarantee you he will. He's done it for me and for a lot of people I know. So keep being responsible with what he has put in front of you and continue trusting that he's going to provide in unforeseen ways as well. Okay, this next question, y'all, I have like zero answer for, but I wanted to address it. It's, is refinancing student loans a smart choice? I read this question and my eyes just got real big and I thought, what the heck am I doing? (laughs) To be honest, I have no idea if refinancing your student loans is a smart choice. I didn't refinance my loans. I didn't even consolidate my loans. I just paid them off in the order of the amounts of debt. So my car was first and then I paid on a private student loan and then finally my federal student loan. So there is a method to paying off debt. You should not pay more on every debt. Does that make sense? So say you have Let's just use my previous debt as an example. So I had a car loan, I had a private student loan, and I had a federal student loan. Instead of paying an extra $300 to all three of those loans every month, that wouldn't have worked for me because I needed some like instant gratification. I'm not the most patient person in the world. And Dave Ramsey would even recommend this. It's called the debt snowball for a reason. So basically what you do is... 
I looked at my car loan first. I had $5,000 on my car loan. I had 6000 on a, a student loan and 10000 on another. These aren't real numbers, but let's pretend. And so what I did was I focused all of my attention on that first smallest loan, which was my car. So I continued making minimum payments on my two student loans, but any extra money I had to put toward debt, I put toward that car loan, which meant it got paid off a lot faster. Say I paid it off in five months. I was putting $1,000 a month toward it, and now it's done. It's gone. I paid off my car. Now I have $1,000 extra to put toward that private student loan, that next big debt. And so then instead of putting the $300 minimum payment, I was putting $300 plus $1,000, which meant $1,300 a month to that, which meant I paid off that $6,000 a lot quicker. And then, you know, you keep going. Then that debt's paid off. And then I have $1,300 extra dollars when I was already making minimum payments on that last student loan of $500. Do the math. That's $1,800 a month that I'm putting toward that debt. So it's just kind of this snowball into avalanche metaphor where you start small and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it starts rolling faster and faster and faster. So I didn't answer your question. Do you refinance? I don't know. You need to ask like uh, someone who's far more educated than I am. I did not do anything special other than pay off my loans in a particular order using the debt snowball method. Next question is circumstances never end. So how do I save or pay off debt when I have to pay off everything else that comes my way. So this is kind of like the emergencies situation. This is actually something called, quote-unquote, Murphy's Law, which you can look it up. It kind of just means that whatever can go wrong will go wrong. It sounds really pessimistic, I know. I feel you on that. But the saying isn't totally untrue. Things are always going to happen. Um, so having a plan for your finances really is the best thing that you can do in order to be prepared. This goes back to what I said earlier about having an emergency fund, having one in place at all times, and when a quote-unquote emergency pops up, pay that off before continuing to put those extra funds toward your debt. This means make your minimum payments and put the extra money toward your quote-unquote emergency and then pick back up on debt when you can. So say you um, got into a car accident and you had a $1,000 deductible and you had $1,000 in your emergency fund, but you were already paying $400 extra a month toward your student loans. You would take that extra $400, still pay your minimum payment on your student loan, take that $400 you would have paid extra to the student loan and put it toward your deductible, pull $600 out of your emergency fund. That brings you up to $1,000 on your deductible for your car accident. Pay that to your car insurance. And then the next month, again, make minimum payment on your student loan and then replenish your emergency fund. Basically, that just means always make minimum payments when emergencies pop up and then make sure you're putting everything else toward that emergency. And the thing is, like I said, Things are always going to happen, so just always try and have an emergency fund in place, make a plan for your money, and then things can't shake you quite as much when you have things in place already. What do you do to avoid getting down when you have setbacks? Yes, things are going to happen. I could have paid off my debt faster. 
I got into a car accident, um, which was like three months after I got new brakes, which is super expensive. I had some medical stuff. Like things are always going to pop up when you're paying off debt or when you're saving. So just having that plan is really important. I would also say just be thankful. Have an attitude of gratitude, if you will. Be thankful that if you have food to eat and a roof over your head, you are very fortunate. I mentioned this earlier, but if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably among the wealthiest people in the world right now. So just be really thankful that you have what you have and remember that money is just money and it's all going to be okay. Second, be thankful that you ideally have some funds in place to take care of that setback. We've talked about emergency funds. We've talked about having a plan for your money. Ideally, you will have the funds already to kind of take care of that setback that comes your way. Third, if you are feeling mad or sad or disappointed, feel that for a little bit because your feelings are very valid, but then move forward. Put your money where it needs to go in that moment. You should feel your feelings because they're real, but then you move forward. This is a whole lesson I've learned on how to deal with emotions because I'm a highly emotional person. I'm an Enneagram 4. They can become way too severe sometimes. And I've learned that you need to feel your emotions because they're valid, but they're not the truth. So acknowledge them for what they are and then do what you need to do. And fourth, trust that things are going to work out and things are going to be okay and that God will provide because trust me, he always does. How do you get good at saying no? Because FOMO is real. This this brings me right back to prioritizing what's most important to you. When I was paying off debt, did I sometimes miss out on fun outings or buying new clothes or going to the newest, coolest restaurants? Yeah, I absolutely missed out on those things. But on the flip side, did I also get to travel around Europe for almost half of a year? I did. <laughs> Basically, you get to be picky. You get to weigh your options and your priorities, and then you get to choose the things that matter most to you. So I would just say have some self-control, I guess. This is also I'm like preaching to myself right now. Like weigh what you think are the things that are worth it and what's not, and just make sure you're not, again, pulling from your savings or pulling from your debt payoff in order to do the fun things. There was one situation in particular. I remember when I was paying off debt, I was really close to being done. Um, but then I super wanted to go to a Laney concert. And so Laney is one of my favorite bands. I saw the ticket and I thought, well, I don't have that money. So I got an extra job to pay for that concert ticket. So you weigh your priorities, you weigh what's most important to you and be picky and miss out on some things. You're going to be fine in the long run. All right, guys, we are moving on to another section, and this one is travel. I get a lot of questions about travel, so I'm going to do my best to answer these ones as briefly and succinctly as possible. All right. How do you save for travel, and what was your plan for saving up for your trips? I have a whole blog post on this one, which I will also link to in the show notes. But first things first, let me tell you this. Please listen. You should not go into debt for a trip. Do not go into debt for a trip. If you can't realistically afford uh, a vacation or a holiday within your current means, I honestly don't think you should be taking one. This has always kind of been my mantra, even and especially when I was paying off debt. If I wanted to take a few days off here or there for a long weekend, I would always save for it beforehand. Like I've mentioned before, I prioritized it. I found extra jobs. I made sacrifices in order to make those things happen. This doesn't mean you shouldn't take trips if you have debt. I just think it means you have to be more intentional in your planning. I'm um, Speaking of planning, creating a budget when you go to travel is one of the first things you should do when you're planning for a trip. It 
may seem tedious or annoying for sure, but having a plan for your money is a great way to start the planning process. I do this every time I go on a trip. I'm actually working on my budget right now for this next stint. I leave for Europe in like four days. By the time this comes out, I will be in Paris. I'm so excited. But anyway, it was the first thing that I did for this trip. I made a budget. And it was the first thing I did last year before I left for Europe. I needed to know how much money I would need to save before I could start getting into the nitty-gritty details of the trip, like booking lodging or booking transit. So you can do this with a pen and paper. Some people really prefer the written method or you can create a spreadsheet which is my preference i do google sheets for my trip budgets that way you can access it easily from anywhere i make them available offline so that um, if i'm abroad and i don't have data i can still access my budget i can also access documents that you know have fun things to do in those cities all that kind of stuff and my trip budgets include all the necessary categories at least what I deem necessary categories of spending for a trip. So like for my, my trip last year and my trip this year, my budget includes the following categories. So I have a round trip flight, which by the way, y'all, I got one way from Oakland to Paris and then my return flight from London to San Francisco for less than $650. So if you need advice offline about how to find cheap flights, holler at your girl. Anyway, categories for budget. Round trip flight food, which I would estimate a certain number per day and multiply that by how many days I was traveling. Lodging, I did the same thing, multiplied uh, an estimated number per night times the amount of nights I needed lodging. Other travel expenses uh, that I would call transit, that would be trains, buses, ferries, planes, all the ways you're getting around, rental cars, that kind of stuff. I have an entertainment and fun category. If you're going on a long-term trip, travel insurance is really important. Um, So I have travel insurance for this next trip as well as the one I did last year. And then a miscellaneous category or maybe even like uh, an extension. Just having this extra little sum of money just in case something happens. And then also make a plan for your recurring bills. Because when you're traveling, especially if it's a long-term thing, like keep in mind any of your giving, your cell phone bill, your insurances, your utilities, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you're also planning for those. (laughs) Placing all of these categories into a formulated spreadsheet like I do. It helps show me total numbers. It really helps me just saving the money that I'm going to need. And you can adapt your budget as necessary for your trip, but I just think it's a really good place to start. And so while actively saving for your trip, you can do a few different things to keep your travel funds apart from your other money, which we'll talk about in a bit, just to avoid spending it prematurely. And one of those tips is you could withdraw cash after each paycheck and keep it tucked away or create a separate savings account for the trip. Again, for more tips on all of how to save money for travel, I will link to my blog post in the show notes. That was my plan for saving. I mean, and I had a lot of extra jobs. I mentioned this earlier. I worked a a ton, like too much, but again, it was worth it. I don't recommend it long-term. I don't think the hustle is sustainable. I will preach that until my dying day. The hustle is not sustainable, but it worked for me in those few years that I was doing it. All right. I get this question like all the dang time. How do you make money while traveling? So I am not a travel blogger. I am not a traveling photographer. Those things sound awesome, but truth be told, I have no idea how they work and it's not my life. (laughs) I currently work remotely as a technology experience director, which is a really fancy title, (laughs) but I actually started as a virtual assistant. I specialized in technology projects like website design and website management, and it morphed into some more skill sets like email marketing, video editing 
doing other techie related things. Then I stepped into my current role as a director late last year. So I was first hired by my current employer at literally only like eight hours a week. I worked eight to 10 hours a week for them the six months before I left for Europe. And honestly, the job kind of fell into my lap. A friend of mine who's a full-time virtual assistant, her name is Chelsea Brinkley. Y'all should check her out on Instagram. I'll link to her in the show notes as well. She actually sent them my way after I left Nashville and they actually hired me on the spot, which I was not expecting at all. But being able to work super part-time before I left for Europe and then being able to take that job with me. Again, I was only working eight to 10 hours a week. That was it. So being able to take that job with me while I traveled last year, which I didn't need it. I didn't need the job because I had saved all the money, but obviously it was nice to have a little bit of bonus money while I was traveling. Um, it ended up turning into what it currently is and the job that I currently have. And I'm beyond grateful for it because I love my job. I love the people I work with. And obviously I love being able to travel and work at the same time. Working remotely is awesome. It's really, really awesome. But you know, it's hard. (laughs) So if working remotely is something that you're considering looking into, I'd encourage you to do that. Like look into it, do some research. Um, and I'd also encourage you to consider a few things. So if you love working on a team and being physically present with your coworkers, a remote job might not be the best for you in the long term because you spend a lot of time alone. Working remotely sometimes slash most often (laughs) means non-traditional work hours, which means it may be harder to shut off when you quote unquote go home, which honestly might be true of most jobs nowadays. I feel like everyone's taking work home and I don't think it's healthy, (laughs) but it's like really a thing with a remote work. So it's important to have really clear communication and set expectations with your employers about when you are available and when you're not available. Taking time off can become a lot more difficult as well if you're a remote employee. Uh, You might not be accruing time off. I personally do not accrue time off. And it may mean you're working while you travel, which I do. (laughs) So you have to be really intentional and strategic with taking a proper vacation or holiday, which basically means clear communication with your team and with your leaders, getting approval for that time off, and going into it knowing it's probably not going to be paid. So a proper holiday is probably unpaid time off. All right, this next one is a big one, so listen closely. (laughs) Working remotely may mean that you're actually considered a contract worker or a 1099er, which means you are technically self-employed, aka your taxes will be higher, and you won't have taxes taken out of your paychecks. So you have to think really strategically throughout the year, potentially even quarterly, in saving for your taxes. And I found that a good rule of thumb here is to save 25 to 30% of your income for when you do your taxes. If this is the case, you're also likely responsible for your own benefits. So think health insurance, dental and vision insurance, retirement savings, all of those things that really are benefits when you're working as a W-2 employee, you probably will not have those as a remote worker. There are employers who will hire you as a full benefited remote employee with a W-2, but I found in my personal experience and from the groups I'm a part of and the people I know, it's more often the exception than the rule. Typically, you are considered a contract worker. It means a 1099. It means higher taxes. It means less benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But you get to travel. So you just have to weigh the benefits non-work benefits. You have to weigh what, again, is most important to you. So working remotely is amazing. I do believe the benefits outweigh the cons, but it's not always glamorous. All right, next question. (laughs) How can you save for both a trip and future life endeavors at the same time? 
I think you have two options here. So this is assuming you have no debt, right? If you have debt, take care of debt first. If you have no debt, I think you have two options. One, you can save for the most pressing thing first. Like say you need a new laptop. You can save for that first. And then once you've saved and gotten that thing, then you can save for the secondary thing that you are saving for. So you can save for one first, get it done, and then save for the second. Or number two, you can prioritize them equally, saving for both simultaneously. So on a practical level, you might want to separate your savings accounts while you're saving for two or more things at the same time. I did that when I was saving for my first year up trip. I created a second savings account and put all of the funds for that trip into that savings account. This may just help you visualize the multiple things you're saving for and keep you from dipping into one account for the other thing. I found this to be really helpful when I was saving for my trip. Okay, and last question for this section. What percent of your income do you save versus spend on travel? Because both are important to me. This is a great question. When I first finished paying off debt, I spent a few months bulking up my savings account to a number that equaled about five to six months of my expenses. And then after that, I created that separate savings account for my Europe trip. And everything I saved went into that. And it helped me just to distinguish what was for the trip and what was quote unquote untouchable unless there was an emergency. And when I got ready to head to Europe, I closed that second savings account and moved it into my checking account, knowing that then I had the quote unquote cash for my trip. Now, I still have those emergency savings, but more than half of it is in a money market savings account, like I mentioned earlier. It's accruing an annual interest of more than 2%, which I've been told by my friends who are older and much wiser than me is a very good rate. So <laughs> that's what I've done now. And so as I continue to add some money to that account each month, it's accruing more interest. So yeah, I would say what percent of income do you save versus spending on travel? Right now I've been saving more for travel only because it is kind of the priority. It's the thing that's forthcoming. It's happening faster. And so I've been saving quite a bit more toward travel, but still putting a little bit into my savings account. I think that's really dependent on what your priorities are right now. If travel is super important to you, I would say maybe make that a little bit higher. Obviously, don't not put into savings. You should still be saving. So if you want to talk offline about that person who sent in this question, feel free to send me a message. We can talk like actual numbers and things like that. Now we've got one more question. Here it is. How can I live without the fear and anxiety of money guiding all of my decisions? Yes. Wow. Okay. So this is one I'm still learning every single day. I have had such a weird relationship with money, probably because throughout my childhood and into my adulthood, I was with, and then I was without, and then I felt like I had to do everything in my puny little hands I could to hold on to it. I became a control freak about money. I ultimately didn't trust God to provide for me. I realized actually quite recently that I was viewing a lot of things in life, including relationships as transactions, which is very unhealthy. We're working through it. But I have learned quite a few things throughout my 20s, I suppose, about money and the way that I don't want it to guide all of my decisions or I don't want to live in fear of it. So here are some of the things I've learned. One, money is just a tool and we are the masters who are handling that tool. We have a choice in how we approach, how we handle, and how we spend money because we need to remember that money is not everything. 
It's literally just a tool. I think sometimes that Bible verse that says money is the root of all evil, like that's what gets quoted at us, but that's out of context. It's actually the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is just a thing. It's an entity. It's not, you know, it's just, it's just a thing. It's a tool and we're the ones handling that tool. So just remembering that it's not everything and it doesn't have to dictate every decision I make or everything I think about has been really, really helpful to me. Two, I think financial knowledge starts with awareness. And so don't blindly spend your money. Have a budget. Have a plan. Stick to that plan. Having savings account. Have an emergency fund. And don't touch it unless it's a legitimate emergency. Like just be aware of where your money is going. I think a lot of people just spend and spend and spend and don't even think about it. And I think that's a huge mistake because then you're going to get to like, you know, the end of the month or even maybe the end of the year and realize you spent all this money on stupid crap or you don't even know where that thousand dollars went like oh that that gives me more anxiety than thinking about where my money is going on a daily basis so just have a plan be aware and remember that you are the master and the money is just the tool Three, keep giving. I said this way earlier in the episode, but we should never give up on our giving. Regardless of what you have or what you don't have, chances are you still have more than most people in the world. So be generous with what you've got no matter what it is, no matter what the amount of it is. Just continue to be generous. And lastly, number four, trust that God has got you. This has been the hardest lesson for me personally, the most hard fought one too. I realized recently that I never really, no matter how much I might've said I did, I never really trusted him to provide. But once I learned to let that go and remind myself every day that he loves loves to take care of his kids. Ever since doing that, I live now in dependence on him to supply all of my needs, financial and otherwise. So acknowledging the giver of all things, which yes, includes money, for exactly who he is and what he promises to his kids reminds me that there's no need to live in fear of the thing that he himself gives. So you guys, this has been a super long episode. I hope you found it helpful. I hope you are encouraged to continue just being a financial master, like getting your shit in order, um, making a budget, paying off your debt, saving for that thing, being more generous, all the things that are important when it comes to money. And remembering that money is not everything. Money is not God. Money is not be all end all. Money is a tool that's given to us. And I think that when we get onto that playing field where we realize that it's just a tool, that's all it is, it's a gift, that's going to really influence the way we view it and the way we give it and the way we spend it. So bringing it all to God first, I think is the most important thing and ultimately just being really prayerful about it. So that's it. I've talked for a really long time about money. (laughs) And um, if you guys have any more questions, seriously, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or in an email. I would love to talk with you more, especially if you want to get into some nitty gritty details about your personal budget and the things that you're working on because I know what it's like to not have someone. And so I'd love to be able to help you all out. We will be back in two weeks when I'm going to be sitting down with my sweet, sweet friend, Chelsea Willis, who I've known for quite a few years. She's a fellow Harry Potter nerd. We have such a sweet bond. Um, Anyway, we're going to be talking about a topic that I like have zero insight on, but 
need help with, and that is how to be healthy and live your healthiest life. So Chelsea has a ton of experience in fitness and food and all the other aspects that go into our physical health. We're also going to be talking about mental, emotional, and spiritual health as well. So tune back in in two weeks, guys. It's going to be a really great episode on how to live your healthiest life. But until then, keep dreaming, seeking, and stepping out in faith. 